Doctor Who is one of the longest-running TV series in the history of the world, with over 800 episodes and counting of the main show, and two hit spin-off shows Torchwood and The Sarah Jane Adventures, the world of the Time Lords has proved to be a hit with audiences. In 2016, the BBC made another spin-off show, this time aimed at a young adult audience, and despite rating struggles, this show found a fresh and exciting voice in one of the most beloved universes in the, well, universe. We'll be talking with producer Derek Ritchie shortly, but first, here is your introduction to class. I can travel through space and I can travel through time, but I can't always be there when you need me. Sometimes you have to take survival upon yourselves. What will you do when the shadows come and you can't turn away from the darkness ahead? For time has looked at your faces. And time never forgets. Hi, my name's Shane Anderson, and this is One Season Wonders, a show about the TV we left behind, cancelled after only a single season, sometimes less, and forged in the fires of the creativity of hundreds of artists, only to have them cut down before they could find an audience. This is not a show about the best and the worst, and there'll be no rankings or ratings within these sonic walls. My only hope is to bring to light some underseen gems and find some small way of uncancelling these little slices of wonder. So lay out that recliner, grab some crisps, and let's watch some telly. On Thursday, the 2nd of October 2015, it was announced that a Doctor Who spin-off show called Class was to be written by Patrick Ness. Patrick Ness is a mostly young adult author, most well known for his book A Monster Calls, which was adapted into a critically beloved film in 2016. In an interview with Stephen Kelly for inews.co.uk, Patrick Ness tells how he was originally approached by the producers of Doctor Who about writing for the main show, then currently under the auspices of Stephen Moffat. This wasn't Ness's first interaction with the TARDIS either. He'd contributed a short story to the 50th anniversary book called Eleven Doctors, Eleven Stories. But while the offer of the Hooniverse was tempting, Ness was a bit reticent. He told the producers, quote, I love Doctor Who, but I kind of want to do something new. To which they responded, Well, we have this other idea possibly setting a show in Coal Hill. And Patrick Ness was immediately sold. Coal Hill Academy in the world of The Doctor is a fictional school that has been featured in Doctor Who since the 1963 serial An Unearthly Child, and Patrick Ness saw this setting as a way of using his strengths as a YA storyteller to look at a handful of students and a couple of aliens who attend the Academy. When Ness was announced as the creator and writer for the show in a press release from the BBC, Doctor Who showrunner Stephen Moffat, who would serve as executive producer for Class, was quoted saying, No one has documented the dark and exhilarating world of the teenager like Patrick Ness, and now we're bringing his brilliant storytelling into Doctor Who. This is growing up in modern Britain, but with monsters. Ness was set to write all eight episodes. Ness, Moffat and Brian Minchin as executive producers, Derek Ritchie as producer, and directors Ed Bazalgette was assigned for the first three episodes, Philippa Langdale and Wayne Chi Yip had two episodes each, and the finale was to be directed by Julian Holmes. Class tells the story of four students in sixth form, that's the last two years of high school for those outside the UK, at Coal Hill Academy. 
a school that has, over the years of space-time travel and battles with monsters, become damaged, causing tears in space and time that allow all sorts of monsters through into the present-day Earth. The lead characters are Charlie, a student who's not exactly human, but rather alien royalty on the run, the last of his species. There's Ram, an antisocial jock. April, an ordinary girl touched by alien forces that forever change her life. And Tanya, a Nigerian prodigy, advanced for her age and moved up three year levels for her outstanding academic work. And lastly, there's Miss Andrea Quill, the physics teacher who, like Charlie, is not of this world, the last of her kind, and bound to Charlie as his protector. While happenstance brought them here, they must band together to fight the forces that seek to break into our world and destroy it. The Doctor himself, then played by Peter Capaldi, even made an appearance in the pilot, but the show itself follows a Buffy-like rhythm. School days, romances, personal lives, and monster fighting all collide. In an Empire Magazine interview with John Nugent, Patrick Ness said, quote, We're not telling stories of the chosen ones. I'm interested in real consequences. The Doctor is always exciting, but he never stays. He goes off on the next adventure. What happens to the real people? While class takes its cues openly and lovingly from shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even so, it finds its own darker, more mature take on the high school is hell archetypes. Bloodier, darker, and even a little hornier than its narrative comparisons, class makes for a thrilling entry into this canon. On April 4th, 2016, the BBC announced the cast lineup, with mostly unknown actors playing the teenagers Greg Austin, Fadi El Sayed, Sophie Hopkins, and Vivian Opara. And the role of Miss Andrea Quill went to Coronation Street alumni Catherine Kelly. Talking to BBC America, Patrick Ness said of the cast, quote, We've searched far and wide for this amazing cast, fantastic actors who understand what we're aiming for with this show. And how lucky we are to get Catherine Kelly. She's been stunning in Happy Valley, The Night Manager, and Mr. Selfridge. Just wait until you see her here. Stephen Moffat added, There's nothing more exciting than meeting stars that nobody's heard of yet. We had the read-through of the first few episodes last week, and there was a whole row of them. Cole Hill School has been a part of Doctor Who since the very first shoot in 1963. But this new show is anything but history. Class is dark and sexy and right now. I've always wondered if there could be a British Buffy. It's taken the brilliant Patrick Ness to find out how to make it happen. On the 16th of June 2016, Patrick Ness revealed via Twitter that one of the leads would be a male with a boyfriend, tweeting that he'd, quote, been asked if class will have LGBT representation in it. Will a lead character with a boyfriend who he kisses and sleeps with and loves do? This was eventually revealed to be Charlie, the Rhodian prince, and a fellow student at Coal Hill Academy, Mateusz, a Polish student who falls for the alien royalty. As reported in Radiotimes.com, filming for the show began on the 4th of April 2016 and concluded on the 2nd of September 2016, with a relatively smooth and drama-free production, at least as far as this podcaster could find out. The show was set to begin, they even had a theme song made for the show, a cover of Up All Night by Alex Clare and the show was set to be released into the world. The BBC had set in plan a release strategy for Class. Starting on the 22nd of October, just in time for Halloween, Class would release on BBC Three, an exclusively online channel accessed via the BBC iPlayer app, at 10am Saturdays each week with a future broadcast on BBC One, the main BBC channel in the UK, in January of the following year, 
It was hoped that high-quality original content would drive young viewers to the online station, but it was not to be so. The Broadcasters Audience Research Board released a TV player report with the initial numbers for episodes 1 and 2 of Class. It wasn't looking great. The report is made to estimate just how many people have watched a program through online streaming services, and Class did not make it into the list of even the top 50 most in-demand programs over a period of four weeks. The first two episodes had been accessed by less than 185,688 viewers and failing to make the BBC iPlayer top 20 in its first seven weeks. Despite this rough start, Class received some pretty positive critical reviews. Ian McArdle of Coltbox said... It is early days, but class comes across as fast, funny, and at times a touch frightening. Han Wen of IndieWire pointed out several specific episodes to note, with praise saying, Episodes 2 and 3 deserve recognition for their nuanced treatment of grief. The show doesn't offer up any platitudes, and instead delves into the ongoing process of dealing with trauma and loss. And Alastair Wilkins of the AV Club concluded, Class's diversity is one of its great strengths with each character's distinct background helping shape how they respond to both regular life and the impossible threats that they encounter. Class feels hip in a way that no other corner of the Doctor Who universe ever really has. When the series was subsequently broadcast on BBC One the following year, it failed to secure over a million viewers at any point during its late evening slot across January and February. Despite being picked up by BBC America for the US, the Space Channel in Canada, and the ABC here in Australia, it failed to make much of a splash anywhere in the world. Now, British TV sometimes runs at a slightly different pace to America. The US has its weekly, sometimes daily press releases, splashy announcements, and brutal cancellations, but the BBC didn't make any official cancellation announcement of class for a while. So long, in fact... Patrick Ness made his own announcement on Twitter. On the first weekend of June 2017, he tweeted, I decided a while back that, with unbelievable regret, I won't be writing any more class, even if a season two moves ahead. It has been the most amazing experience. I loved it, and I am so proud of the show and what we made. My heart just bursts with happy, but we should be filming right now. With the new cycles of Who, we'd pretty much need to be on the air before even 2019 but we're not, and that's just TV and how it goes, not even the littlest bit bitter. He mentioned some potential plans for a season two, teasing a weeping angel civil war, a son for Quill's character, and Charlie and Mateusz giving us, the audience, some shirtless wood chopping. This time of the cancellation was, he said, the saddest he'd been in his whole career. On the 8th of September 2017, BBC Three finally made the announcement. Damien Kavanagh, the then controller of the BBC Three network, said at the Broadcasting Press Guild, quote, No, we're not bringing it back. There was nothing wrong with it. I thought Patrick did a great job. He explored an amazing world. In honesty, it just didn't really land for us on BBC Three. Things sometimes don't, and I've got to make decisions about what we're going to do from a drama point of view. There's always times when you do something and you have to decide that it's not going to come back. Class is just one of those things. In response, Patrick Ness took to Twitter one more time to say, quote, I'm not an unopinionated man, but all I'll say, Ari, the class news, is how proud I am of the show and how lucky I am to have had the opportunity. What a great experience to make it. And such a great cast. And thank you for all the love for it too. 
would that things were different. Class was out forever. Or so it would seem. More on what happened after a little later, but first we have the absolute honour and privilege to talk with producer of Class, Derek Ritchie. So I'm very grateful to be joined by producer Derek Ritchie, who has had a very interesting career. You uh, started as an electrician on Danny Boyle's first feature film. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You also worked on the Oscar-winning film The Last King of Scotland, Uh, and then you moved into being a second AD on a whole bunch of fantastic British television, including Being Human, which is a great show. Uh, You produced for Doctor Who, and then my personal favourite, and I didn't know this until I, 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 like... I googled you, um, Wizards versus Aliens, which is yeah, like I adore that show. It's such a fun show. I love that show to pieces. So thank you, Derek, for coming on to talk with me today about class. Oh, not at all. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really delighted to be here, and um, I th- this is my very first podcast experience. So oh, I'm wonderful! Th- thrilled. As a fan of Only Murders in the Building, I am thrilled. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, that show is so good, isn't it? I'm, I'm a bit behind. I'm like, I'm like just behind on the most recent season. It's, I adore that show so much. Oh my god, it's a treat. The, it the treats that await you. I'm quite yes. jealous. <laughs> yes. So we'll dive straight up into the question. So, having worked in the Doctor Who universe before, you worked on um, season nine, I believe, of the main show. How did class come into your lap as a producer? Well, um, it was. It was quite interesting, actually, because I'd been at BBC Wales for a few years by that point. I'd come into BBC Wales as a script editor, as a script editor with zero experience. I'd, uh, I'd been a second AD for quite some years. And as you mentioned on Being Human, which was a absolutely glorious show to work on, what a treat it was. Um, and I really wanted to produce, and I knew that script editing was a good route uh, into that. So I'd I'd um, I'd spoken to our exec, being human, who uh, worked at BBC Wales, and uh, I said I'm, I'm keen to get script editing. If you have any training programs or anything like that, and uh, he had a gap in a show called Wizards vs Aliens that they were uh, they were in very early pre production on, and he said, well, why don't you come in for a few weeks until we interview for the job, and you can see how it all works and um, and get a bit of experience that way. So I did, and then I ended up at BBC Wales for five years. It, somehow, <laughs> it's somehow it happened. Um, and so, yes, I'd, uh, after I produced my first producing gig was Series Three of Wizards versus Aliens, right. gloriously. Um, and after that, I did a couple of blocks and a little prequel for Series Nine Doctor Who, which was obviously an absolute dream come true, um, and particularly to work on very. Uh, a very classic story, like the the Under the Lake storyline was just classic, written all over. So that was great fun to do. Um, and then after that, I actually went off to work with the digital team on the marketing of Series 9 of Doctor Who, um, which was really fascinating to me because obviously we move into, we, at that stage, you know, eight years ago, we were moving into ever more into a multifaceted approach to um, how people watch drama, how they consume drama, the kind of outreach they, that you want to do digitally to meet what an audience expects these days and what a fandom expects. So I, I really enjoyed being able to then take my drama skills into that side of it for the marketing of Series 9. Um, and it was while I was doing that that Brian mentioned uh, the exec on Doctor Who got in touch with me and said that uh, this new show, Class, 
was in the offing. Um, it was very excitingly written by Patrick Ness, uh, whose work um, as a much awarded uh, YA author was very well known and was known to me as well. So it was it was a very exciting prospect. Um, and he sent me the first three scripts. Um, and I first of all met with Brian, uh, and then I went on to meet with Patrick. Uh, and then ultimately I got the job. Uh, and I think that, you know, in reading those scripts for the first time, I was just really excited by the fact that Patrick had brought his very distinct voice to the Doctor universe and was doing something that felt completely fresh within the realms of the Doctor Who universe. And that's always fascinating to me. You know, as somebody who grew up with Doctor Who and obsessed with Doctor Who all my life, you know, you kind of think you know most of the stories that you could tell or or, or, or certainly um, you, you you think you know, you know what the boundaries are. But to have somebody create a new Doctor Who-related brand that kind of smashed through those boundaries and did its own thing in a slightly punky way was really, you know, was was very exciting. <laughs> And the kind of bonkers things that were already in those first three scripts, you know, uh, from the dragon tattoos, yeah, um, to the you know to the lankin and all that stuff, you know, they were they were really bold and different concepts, and um, and that's what was very exciting about it. So, you know, that 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 very tantalising idea of here's a new show that needs to sit within the Doctor Who universe, but you've got to find a way to give it a very distinct identity. The scripts have a distinct identity. And therefore, as a producer, it's my responsibility to make sure that all other aspects of the show have a distinct identity so that when people watch it, they know they're watching the Doctor Who universe, but they immediately know that it's not Doctor Who. I think that was very important because of the the kind of storytelling that we were doing and why it was set apart quite clearly from the kind of storytelling you have in Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. And it's what's great is that it is so unique and yet it doesn't feel like it's not Doctor Who at the same time. It straddles that line. Yeah. And it's a very, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it's a very fine line to to do, but it it's really like a tightrope act. It's such a wonderful show. Um, could you talk awesome a little bit? Uh, <laughs> could you uh, talk <laughs> a little bit about? Uh, well, you've talked a little bit about working with Patrick Ness um, as the writer. Could you perhaps perhaps talk a little bit more broadly about like how producing in British television works? Because our last few episodes have all been um, American TV, which has its own very sort of strict pathways. But I imagine British television is quite different, and then working for the BBC, which is a, a public broadcaster. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it's very different, actually. It's interesting because I think we, uh, certainly until recently, there was a lot less producers on any production of a British drama than there would be on an American drama. You know, when you see credits in, on American drama, when there's 15 executive producers <laughs> and then the co-producers and then the assistant producers and then the producer rocks up. So <laughs> yeah. it's you, it's a little more, it's, certainly the jobs I did earlier in my producing career was much more focused. Um, and as as a producer, you know, I feel you've got to, you have a very kind of strong connection with your showrunner, your lead writer, um, that and, and that's, uh, and making sure that you fulfill that vision. So I think that's the responsibility I feel is very much to that to the key creative and then bringing in the right team, the right director, the right HODs, uh, all of that to create this very clear single vision. So I, I like it I like it with, um, I like it because you 
have a, an immediate connection to every single aspect of it. And not from a control freak perspective. <laughs> so you have to be a little bit of a control freak to be a producer. Um, but not so much from that perspective, but rather the joy of uh, of having the whole toolbox of storytelling. Because every single bit of it is, you know, from from the style in which you shoot, from the lenses that you use, from the cast that you have, from the design of it, across all the different aspects of design, from art department to costume to makeup, etc., to visual effects, to the grade, to the sound design and sound effects, all that, through every aspect of it, you are telling the story. And you're going back to that original vision that has come to you through the scripts and that you are working with those key writers uh, to, to enact. So that I like the kind of I like that kind of focus that you have as a producer in Britain, where you haven't got quite got there's not as many people all sharing the work. Instead, you get to have quite good, strong, intense, creative relationships with key individuals, and I find that really satisfying um, if you get it right, um, most definitely. So I think I think that's quite a key part of it. And I do. I mean, I, I the real privilege for me as a producer is being across all these different aspects of it. You know, it, it's amazing to be able to work with the people that we work with. You know, we we are an industry of specialists. That's how I think of it. And you surround yourself with the best specialists for the job that you do. And that's how you create the set, the, the the piece of work. So that's a real joy for it is 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 working with all those wonderful people um, who can bring such unique and distinct things to the program that you're making. Um, and of course, you know, being across all those wonderful aspects, like I was saying, I love sitting in the grade and I love sitting in the online and I love doing all those little bits of picture finishing and in the mix, you know, what just how that can be brought to life with a wonderful score by a wonderful composer um, and a great sound effects editor, you know, and a, and a fabulous re-recording mixer who's pulling all that in. You know, it's it's a real privilege of a job, actually. And I think it is it is being able to engage with all those little aspects that makes it so wonderful. I wonder. It sounds a bit more like producer in British television is a bit more like a producer on like a feature film in that sort of function, in that there's like a really hands-on approach to like moving, getting the train moving. Because I know in, in America, I think the reason why they have a lot of different producers, a lot of those are writing positions, staff writers and all that, or... or, or Moving yes. up on on some very strict layers. So producer in the sense of not quite in the sense that it is in a movie. But yeah, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. One of the things about the show I I just about class that I just adored with like for myself as a gay man, like I found the queer representation in the show just like refreshingly front and center. It wasn't sort of like a lot of other shows, there's a lot of there's pining for it and, you know, you might get, like, a kiss towards the end and, to, you know, if, excuse the language, but, like, they're fucking by episode three, you know, they're, they're kissing in episode one, they're fucking yes. by episode three, and I was like, ah, oh, this is really cool. Um, was there any sort of pushback or difficulty, like, from a producing perspective with making that sort of an essential part of what is the lead character of the show, especially on, like, broadcast TV? Um, no, not really, to be honest. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I think because... I think you know. I think simply because it, you know, it 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 is like the best shows in British television, the ones in which the broadcasters go, "This is the key talent we want, and we're going to get behind them." And that's really what happened with Patrick. You know, it, they wanted the BBC wanted a Patrick Nair show, right. and and therefore, you know, he wanted to like he does in his books. He wanted that representation to be truthful, honest, and absolutely at the heart of it. 
And that was from the very beginning, you know, that was what we were doing, you know, and nobody, there was no questions about it. I think like, like in all things, you know, what you want to do is make sure that when you are shooting a sex scene, it is correct and appropriate for the show, for the story. You're, you know, you're not, you know, you're not, you know, you're not um, having, having a gaze on these people as they're having an intimate moment. It's not um, lascivious in any way. Just to I mean, we we wanted we wanted to make sure that that representation was also correct and also for the actors involved. And we did the same with the you know with the straight sex scene that's in the show as well. So those things were that was really important to us that we were that actually from Patrick's work, it's the emotional truth of those moments that counts more than anything else. And that's what, that was always front and center in the show and something that we embraced, you know, that everybody embraced who came to the show. Do you know what I mean? Uh, there was no real yeah. question of it. Oh, I think it, it leads to a slightly wider tonal question that actually I think might be one of the reasons we had kind of trouble as a show cutting through, if you like. And that's just because of where it sits. Um, I know this is me slightly digressing, but I do think it's quite an interesting point that's kind of related to uh, representation in that way. Because as a show... And wanting to be truthful, your audience needs to be quite sophisticated. And class is a show. Where does it sit? What is the audience for class? It's a bit older than your Doctor Who audience, but it's not quite old enough to please your BBC Three 18 plus audience necessarily. It sits in a kind of little bubble of its own, which is much more reflective of the kind of YA fiction that Patrick was writing. So yeah. it feels like a pretty truthful YA show, actually, um, because it doesn't kind of conform to typical broadcaster modes of who their audience is. It's much more interested in being uh, truthful to a younger audience, but also appealing to an older audience. And in a way, I think we kind of slipped between two stools because of that in terms of finding an audience and how the BBC would therefore understand how to market it and how to reach a particular part of it. You know, at times the show would very much appeal, I think, to, you know, kids in their kids who are 10, 11, 12. There were other times the show, I think, appealed to people who were 18, 19, 20. Yeah. And it's just trying to find like the gelling of that in the middle. And so when you, it's, it's difficult for a broadcaster to kind of get on board with understanding when the show fits when you have, you know, a, a gay sex scene in episode three. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it. That causes them a problem. But yeah, but I mean, for us, for us, it was like we've got to do this. It was important. You know, it was really it. It was it, it comes from Patrick's vision, and like like I was saying before, you are there to support and communicate that, and uh, that was absolutely vital to us from the very beginning. Yeah, is that part of the reason why like they went initially for like uh, a digital release? Because I was sort of reading up on the history and how it had like a, a digital release first, and then several months later they then opted to broadcast it is that part of fi- trying to find that bubble of an audience um no that was just <laughs> i'd love to see that there was some really sophisticated thinking around the broadcasting of <laughs> uh, of class but there wasn't we just we just turned up at a point in which the bbc made the decision to make bbc3 digital so right. we lost the channel um, and interestingly right through the filming of it uh, right through the whole production life of it, we were told lots of different things by the BBC. We're going to put this on at nine o'clock on a Saturday night on BBC One. We're going to put it here. We're going to put it there. There was a lot of thinking 
coming in our direction. And all of it was very appealing. You know, as a producer, I was going, oh my goodness, they're giving us a great slot. How fantastic. They must love the show. Um, sadly, none of that was ultimately the case. And when it came to it, um, they decided we'll use Class as a show to launch BBC Three going digital. Um, unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately for us in doing so, we kind of didn't get the marketing push. We didn't get the uh, we didn't get the noise, publicity noise around it that would have come from it being um, a broadcast show. Um, and another, I mean, another really key aspect in all of this, in the life of class, we went through four commissioners. Wow. So from, from the commissioner who initially ordered the show, uh, by the time we, we'd finished making it, which wasn't even that long, we're talking like 18 months, there'd been like four different, so the fourth commissioner didn't really care. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. well, this is not my show. I don't know where this has come from. I just, I know you've been making this, but, you know, I want to go off and make these things over there and put my money in that direction. So we we very, we had lost our internal champion at the BBC and that has an impact. That really has a, 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 a an absolute impact on, um, on where a show is positioned, on who gets on board with it, about the money that's put behind supporting it, all of that. So I think that ha that again had a big impact because when we actually got a, a traditional broadcast of the series, it was on. I mean, I think it was Thursday nights in January after <laughs> Question Time. So if you want, I mean, double bills. So if you wanted to watch it, you were staying up till half past twelve <laughs> on a school night, right? Uh, yeah. So it's so it. I mean, it was dare I say it? They gave us a great graveyard slot. And it, you know, and nobody watched it. <laughs> that that, in a nutshell, is the kind of broadcast choice of class. Do you know what I mean? That's the history of how we ended up going out how we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I say, there's no great, there's no, there was no great thinking behind it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting with um talking about like the representation and like finding in the audience because one of the other, I, I learned a new term in my research on this podcast because one of the other shows I want to do later on in the track is like this. A BBC cop show called Cuffs. Um, oh, yes. I, I really yeah. liked it and I just thought it was like beautifully shot. It was really well made. It was fascinating. It was another show with like another gay lead character. And I learned about the watershed <laughs> and how like oh, yes. what you can and can't show before and after the watershed was sort of yeah. like a whole yeah. a whole thing in, in British TV because it's all it's publicly funded. Yes, that I mean, that's absolutely. And that drives us all up the wall, actually. Because if you <laughs> Say you've got a show where in the first like minutes or even the first five minutes, there's somebody gets stabbed and there's a couple of fucks, then you might be in trouble <laughs> if it goes out at nine o'clock. Because although nine o'clock is a watershed, there's like a little, the first sort of five, 10 minutes of the episode are kind of a cooling off period in case right. any kind of anyone stayed up later than they should have or some kids didn't <laughs> quite go to bed bang on nine o'clock. Or you know, or the or you know, people go well. We didn't know it was quite nine o'clock, and obviously things are very shocking after nine o'clock. So you know, you've just got it. You, you, the first few minutes of your episode, you've got to be quite careful with. Which is why I just did a I, I just did a show for Sky, um, which was broadcast here in the UK in July, and that was glorious because it went out at nine o'clock. But because it's not a public broadcaster, yeah, um, the first three episodes all opened with a brutal massacre by a serial killer 
<laughs> and we didn't have to worry about it, which was fantastic. We could have stabbings 30 seconds in quite happily. <laughs> <laughs> good old, everyone loves a good old stabbing. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> that's one of, So, which of the episodes of Class proved to be the biggest creative challenge and why? That's a really interesting question. Um, so, if I had to pick one episode, I'd probably pick the Metaphysical Engine um, because it is wonderfully high concept. And when Patrick was writing it, we we already started production while he was writing it, which was helpful because we were. You know, I was able to go actually. We're not going to be able to afford a T Rex, so let's not put that in. You know, things like that because it, it, that journey through metaphysical time and space was phenomenal and I absolutely love it. I mean, I love that script. I love it and I love it as well hugely because it's such a Catherine Kelly vehicle and she is phenomenal. Yeah. Steals every single scene. Every scene. (laughs) The way you like Google the show on like for like gifts and like all of them are her. (laughs) Oh yeah. She's amazing. uh, What's the one we are decorating? Yeah. <laughs> From like episode one, it's the funniest, like just drop any line reading and it's one of the best things you've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's a true legend, uh, is Kate. She absolutely is. So I love it for that. Um, but also, I mean, I, it's interesting because actually across the series, uh, it's a good question and there's a sort of wider answer to it because, again, interesting that having someone whose background is uh, is writing novels um, to them writing a script because a lot of the con- the concept work in class is very atypical for television or film because it's a they're very complex ideas as to how you would then communicate that visually. So, for example, the shadowkin shadows which look wrong, move wrong, act strangely. That's a really difficult concept to capture visually in a way that in a way that, that you are trying to tell a story. And they are characters, and the things that they do have a story impact. So that that was a tricky concept. Flesh eating petals. <laughs> Need I say more? Tricky, <laughs> tricky, tricky. Uh, the I mean, there was one day that literally we just filled the set with paper petals, and wow. uh, the crew were just like, "What? What are we doing?" <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. it was mad. It and I can mad. imagine, like so, episode three, like because that episode is one of my favorite ones. It's um, yeah, because not only is it like the cool representation stuff, but it's like freaky as hell. It's like genuinely yeah. unnervingly scary, and you have these sequences where there's like these big vines strung across yeah. these huge <laughs> wide shots of a street, and and my, you know my filmmaker brain goes, oh, they had to shut down that street, and then they had to string things <laughs> from like you had to like string things across multiple houses. Like that's not you know. Not an easy yeah, thing. it was the again. That was it. again a really sort of challenging concept, you know, and how we pulled that off. And it was again, it was just, it was just about being a lot with a lot of this stuff is being really prepared. Um, and Ed Basilger, our director of that episode, he was terrific at plotting those key bits out, so we knew how we were going to pull that off. Um, and you know, again, you know, I, I, that's a such a terrific episode. And Vivian Vivian Opara, who I've just worked with again recently, actually, uh, absolute yes. legend. You know, she's really, in, really terrific work. She's in a movie, um, Rye Lane. That Rye Lane. Say, and it's my favourite movie of the year. Like, it's up there with Oppenheimer. Oh, if, right. if I, You know, because it was just like a phenomenal piece. And I'm like, who the hell? Like, she she seemed familiar to me. And then I put two and two issues in class. She's like, she's yeah. like a, a 
powerhouse in in that film. She she's is. so good. She's such a good actor. She's dynamite. She's absolute dynamite. Um, but yeah, her, and then Cobham Holbrook Smith, who's playing her father. That I mean, th- yeah. to do those scenes, that was. I mean, I loved that episode again. And you know, the, just coming into the intimacy of those of those scenes in her bedroom and that relationship. And the kind of the horror of it, the manipulation of it, all of that, yeah. emotional manipulation of it. Um, I, I thought it was such a, it was such a great, powerful piece. He writes, <laughs> he writes parent-child relationships very well, <laughs> but usually horrifyingly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's wonderful. Do you have any fun, like little anecdotes from the making of the show that you'd like to share? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness! I mean, so many. We had so, we had, we had, we honestly had such an amazing time making that show. I saw um, uh, just in the job I'm I'm doing just now. We were shooting in the summer, and uh, our script supervisor from class came uh, <laughs> came and uh, did a few dailies for us on set, and he was just he was delighted to talk about how much fun we'd had in the show, and people who made the show loved making the show. <laughs> <laughs> right which was great you know we had a lot of fun making it and um we had a lot we, there was because there were so many bonkers ideas in it and we went to such bonkers locations um you know there was a lot of japes all the time and uh prosthetic heads being misused and <laughs> <laughs> skinned corpses ending up in the wrong place where they really shouldn't have been and uh, so there was, there, was, there was a lot of fun to be had and it's not always like that television production a yeah. lot of it people can be very serious and it's very pressured and we've got to make our days and it all costs a lot of money but the trick is trying to when you're doing a piece like class and you and it, it's a show that um is doing a lot it's saying a lot of serious things but there's a lot of joy in making it because of the material, because of the characters, because of the cast that we had, because of the crew that we had, and because of the fun things we got to do. So it was a shoot that was that was filled with laughter and japes and all sorts of things going on, um, most of which I couldn't possibly talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good to hear. That's so wonderful to hear. Well, thank you so much. I've got one last question that I ask all of our guests. Um, since this show is about putting a spotlight on shows that lasted, you know, little one season wonders, uh, do you have any favourite shows of your own? Like, or no, like favourite shows as an audience member that only lasted one season? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do you know what? I'd have to go straight in with Star Cops. Do you know Star Cops? No, Star Cops, <laughs> like as in Star Wars, but not Wars Cops. Yeah, Star Cops. Wow, I don't know this one. Yeah, it's a BBC show from 1989, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was nine episodes, conceived by Chris Boucher, who's obviously well-known for Blake Seven, amongst other things, uh, and was uh, and was kind of a real-world real world space show set a little bit in the future um, where um, space crime is becoming a problem and a hard-bitten British detective ends up uh, working for the Star Cops, the space police. Wow. Um, and it's, so it's a really interesting show because it it wants to engage with real-world politics. It's kind of got a, a very hilarious sort of detective-in-space comedy edge to it. Um, <laughs> it likes to lean into. All the characters are a little bit abrasive. Like, nobody quite gets on. There's, like, an angry Australian woman who's always... How can be called? And she's always, you know... 
making side remarks at everyone. She's kind of like Tegan in Overdrive. And um and yeah, and there's but there's loads of cool ideas in it. Like there's cool moon-based stuff. They do a thing about a terrorist attack on the channel tunnel. Um so there's yeah, wow. it's full of mad ideas. And I, it's just one of those shows which uh which I could it, they made nine episodes, one season, they put it on in the summer, BBC two, nobody watched it. <laughs> Yeah. It's like class a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh and, yeah, I'd like I'd so happily I'd so happily watch a lot more of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's also got an absolutely brilliant Oh my god, I have to add that to my list. That sounds so cool. Yeah, you gotta give it you gotta check it out. It's also got a great theme tune as well. Um, which once you've heard a couple of times, you'll never get your heads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. I've, I've, I've usually don't come across a lot of shows that I haven't heard of in this podcast, but I have to, I have to put that one on the list. Yeah. Look at Star Cops. <laughs> Derek Ritchie, thank you so much for coming and, and talking with us and sharing all your stories. This was absolutely a total joy. This is a total joy. Oh, well, look, thank you. This has been an absolute joy for me. Do you know what? I can't forget. I've got to make one correction. I've got to make a oh, correction. Yes. <gasps> and it's to, it's to the very first thing you said, right? You know, you said I was an electrician on a dye boil film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wasn't. A g- generator operator? No. It's, I'll tell you oh. what it is. MDB. Because there's another Derek Ritchie, who I know <gasps> from Scotland. Who's a spark, right? Oh. And we used to have two separate profiles in IMDb. And like a year and a half ago or two years ago, they merged them for some reason. Oh, my God. And so I emailed IMDb going, we are two separate people. Can you please separate our profiles again? I've never right. heard a single thing from IMDb. IMDb, if you're listening, please separate <laughs> the very Richie profiles. I'm, yes. I've done many things in the Tavon TV industry, but the one thing I haven't done is be a spark. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you were on the last king of scotland i was on last king of scotland yes oh okay. yeah <laughs> so it was just the one credit <laughs> that was totally right and we got That's live totally right. correction <laughs> this is awesome oh wow oh, well i will i'll put in a report to imdb i'll, I'll have my people right. call their people and we'll set we'll set up a negotiation <laughs> thank you so much for coming and talking with us it's been an absolute pleasure uh likewise thank you for being a wonderful my first podcast host I've, I've enjoyed reminiscing about class very much. And if anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, you may have seen the news that for the sixth anniversary, the back catalogue of Doctor Who is going to be on iPlayer in the UK. So if you miss class and you're yes. in the UK, now's your chance to watch it. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. I've got my uh, Blu-ray just here I'm for podcasts, which is oh, unusual. I'm, I'm pointing to it on my shelf right now. Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Yes, you too. Thank you. While this was indeed the end of class as a television show, it was not the last time these actors would play their Coal Hill Academy monster-hunting troupe. The audio drama company Big Finish produces numerous tellings of Doctor Who stories in audio formats, bringing back favourite Doctor Who actors from every generation. And in May of 2018, they announced via an article from Digital Spy by Sam Warner that class was back in session. Six new audio tales were being made for release in August 2018, with the whole cast returning for a full cast audio experience. It proved to be enough of a success that Big Finish commissioned two more volumes for a total of six more adventures, however Miss Quill and Tanya were recast. And rounding it off was one final audio adventure, Secret Diary of a Rhodian Prince. Since the end of the series, Greg Austin scored a role in Amazon's big series Hunters, 
Fadi El Sayed has worked across film and television, most notably in action series Gangs of London. Sophie Hopkins has appeared in a small handful of day player roles across British television. Vivian Opara recently starred in the acclaimed 2023 Sundance hit Rye Lane, a favourite film of this podcaster. Her performance is truly astonishing. Catherine Kelly, already a prolific actor before class, has continued her run across British screens in a number of television series, miniseries, and a handful of films. Patrick Ness has since added four more books to his bibliography, including the novel Release, shortlisted for the Carnegie Medal, and his Chaos Walking series was adapted into a film starring Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland, which he co-wrote the screenplay for, with a number of projects in the pipeline as well. And our guest Derek Ritchie went on to produce season five of the hit show Luther, starring Idris Elba, the BBC Peacock show The Capture, and a British-German thriller show Then You Run, reuniting with Vivian Opara from Class in one of the main roles. Class is available on demand from iTunes, Google, Amazon, and Vudu in the US. It's available on demand on iTunes and Google in Australia, and it's streaming on Sky, BBC iPlayer, and BritBox in the UK. It's also available on DVD and Blu-ray in UK regions, available from online stores. Class is, unfortunately, one of those shows that just didn't land the audience it deserved. While it's connected to a massive global hit like Doctor Who, it was uniquely its own thing. Blood spatters abound from its horror influences. It wears its queerness on its sleeve. It's funny and dark and a truly worthwhile show if you can find it. Finding a second wind in the form of audio adventures is a silver lining to this digital world, but even just the television show class, in all its eight episodes, truly deserves to find its people and live on across time. Thank you all for listening to One Season Wonders. We'll be taking a break over the Christmas and New Year's period while we write and record more episodes for you, and we hope to see you soon. If you can, please rate and review our podcast. It'll help us find a bigger audience. And please tell anyone you can. We'd love to have many more people join us on this adventure of uncovering TV's lost gems. This podcast has been written, produced, edited and narrated by Shane Anderson and produced by Zane C. Weber of That's Not Canon Productions. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at OneSeasonPod and you can follow me on Twitter at ShaneM underscore Anderson. If you are or know someone who's worked on a one-season wonder, feel free to reach out at oneseasonpod at gmail.com. We'd love to find more artists to talk to for future episodes. So that's that. Until the next episode, goodbye.